Well, good evening, everybody. Thank you, Zoe. Thank you, worship team. Uh, that was fun. And we are so glad that you are here for our outdoor worship service. We are very much hoping and praying, or at least I am very much hoping and praying, that this will be our last outdoor worship service for a long, long time. Uh, actually, I shouldn't complain a whole lot. I mean, the weather's actually been pretty good to us over the course of the three or four months that we've been doing this. If you're joining us uh, outdoors for the first time, great big welcome to you. As you heard Pete say in announcements, the plan is next weekend we'll be moving everything indoors, and so we'll have our regular worship times Saturday at 5 o'clock, and then Sunday we'll have 8 o'clock, 9.30, and 11 o'clock worship services next weekend. So uh, we're looking forward to that. Want to make sure that you understand these will be socially distanced services. We've already taken out several rows in the worship center so that the rows are six feet apart. We will be wearing masks inside uh, while we worship. And so we need you to register so that we make sure there's uh, enough space and safe space for everyone uh, who comes to worship. And so we'll be blasting that on our website and social media pages so that you can get registered for the service that you want to attend. Is that everything I wanted to say about that? I think it probably is. Oh, if you would like to volunteer in any way as an usher or a greeter, uh, we would love to have you help in that way. And then, uh, as, as you heard Pete say, in a couple of weeks, we're hoping uh, to be able to do Hope Kids inside. And if you'd like to uh, volunteer for Hope Kids, uh, please talk to Christy Schmall, our uh, children's ministry director about that we know that not everyone's going to be ready to move inside yet and so as pete said no pressure hopeonline.tv is still going to be happening as long as uh, anybody needs that so whether we're outside or inside whether we, it's your first time or 101st time i really hope this is not your last time joining us for worship uh, here at hope a couple of weeks ago in the sermon, I mentioned the TV show I was binge-watching all summer was a show called Alone. It's on the History Channel. And, and what they do in this show is they take 10 contestants and they drop them in the middle of nowhere in, like, I don't know, Patagonia in South America for one season, uh, Mongolia in, in Asia for one season, up in the Arctic for several seasons. And, and they all are in the kind of the same area, but they're still miles and miles apart from each other. So the the object is to survive on very limited supplies all by yourself for as long as you possibly can. And most of the contestants are actually like they're, they're trained survivalists is what they do for a living somehow. And so they're, they're really good about finding shelter, uh, creating shelter, finding a, a food supply, and they're able to survive 50 days, 60 days, 80 days, 100 days, that sort of thing. But there's only one winner each season. And part of what was fascinating to me would be the reasons why people would tap out. Uh, it, most of the time, the reason they tapped out wasn't because they were unable to overcome the physical obstacles that they had in front of them. Most of the time, they did not opt out because they ran out of food or because it got too cold. Most of the time, they would tap out because they got tired of dealing with the isolation. And at some point, they would just say, you know what, I miss my wife too much. I miss my husband too much. I miss my kids too much. I miss my friends too much. And so even though there's a huge sum of money on the line, if I am able to stay and if I'm able to survive alone, the conclusion they came to was it's just not worth it. It's just not worth it. Our Bible reading for today comes from the Old Testament wisdom book of Ecclesiastes. And if you read through the whole book, the, the writer of the book of Ecclesiastes, often referred to as the teacher, 
spending a lot of time talking about what is worth it in life, what, what makes life worth living. And one of the conclusions uh, we heard in that Bible reading in Ecclesiastes 4 verse 9, it's our connection with one another that makes life worth living. Two people are better off than one is the conclusion of this great teacher in the book of Ecclesiastes. Here at Hope, we simply say we're better together. In fact, let's all say that out loud together right now. We're better together. One more time, we're better together. I remember uh, as winter, well, the, the new year was getting started shortly after Christmas, and we, kids were back in school, and as we get our kids ready for school, sort of the routine is the news is sort of on in the background. So in early January, the news was coming out of this strange virus in China, and how were they dealing with it, and all through January and all through February, the news just kind of kept growing and growing, and I got to tell you, I don't know why, I should have probably thought, oh, I bet this is going to impact us at some point, but if I'm being honest with you, by the time we got to the middle of March, it was a little bit of a, I don't know, sudden, out-of-the-blue reality when we were told, hey, why don't you just keep your kids home with you after spring break, whether they were college kids or, or kids at home. It's like, don't come back to school, and then we told you don't come back to the worship center, and a lot of you were told by your jobs, uh, don't come back to the office, and just all of a sudden, we were stuck at home. And yes, school was still happening and church was still happening online. And a lot of you were figuring out what does it mean to work remotely. But in a, in a very real way, we were experiencing the reality of being alone and being isolated in ways we've never had to think about it or, or deal with it before. Now, some pretty cool things started to happen. We all learned what Zoom meetings were and, and how to do that. And initially, do you remember how everyone initially was like, hey, we're having a Zoom cocktail party with our group of friends, or our small group is meeting via Zoom, or we're having a Zoom family reunion. And teenagers got really creative. They would go to parking lots, and they would back their cars into circles, and they would just sit in the back of the car and have their socially distanced hangout. Uh, this week, earlier this week, there was a group of women who are in a small group study together. They brought their lawn chairs, and they sat out on the sidewalk in the front of the church, and they had their small group discussion about uh, the book that they were reading, Socially Distanced, and, and that sort of thing. Our men's group for the last couple of weeks, Friday morning men's group, has been meeting in the parking lot uh, directly behind me. And our big push this fall, feeling as disconnected and scattered as we've ever felt, we thought it would be a really good season for us to focus in on the same thing. And so we're all reading together this book by Max Licato called Unshakable Hope. There's over 200 people taking part in this in, in, in small groups. There's a Unshakable Hope small group meeting pretty much every day of the week, a group of people from here at Hope Ankeny. And so it's exciting and it's, it's an unbelievable to see the creative ways that people have been figuring out how do we do this connection thing even in the midst of a pandemic? Now, at the same time, there were a lot of not very cool things that have been happening during this season as well. Prior to COVID, studies were saying uh, American adults, it was 8.5% of American adults who had depression, who had enough symptoms of depression that they would warrant a, a diagnosis, 8.5% of Americans. They did a study in early May, so just a month, month and a half after uh, this quarantine stuff started, and that number had risen from 8.5% to 28% of Americans with enough symptoms that they would warrant a, a diagnosis of depression. In addition to that, 
another 25% of Americans had some symptom of depression. So over 50% of adult Americans, some symptom of depression. It's too early to tell what COVID is going to mean for post-traumatic stress disorder, but we can make some pretty educated guesses that it's not going to be pretty. Uh, so when you look at Canada and China and the people who were quarantined because of the SARS epidemic uh, several years ago, uh, they are two to three times more likely to suffer from PTSD than those who were not quarantined. And so a lot of people are warning that uh, we are going to be facing an epidemic of post-traumatic stress disorder in the near future. Two people are better off than one. We're better together. And we know this, and one of the reasons we know this is one of the ways we punish people in our society is by doing the opposite of being together. When children are naughty, one of the ways parents punish them is by sending them to their room to spend time alone. That's your punishment. Governmental penal systems punish prisoners by making them spend time in isolation. Solitary confinement, we call it. We know that it's good to be together. It's not good to be in isolation. The U.S. Census Bureau in 2019 uh, they, say, they report that 28% of Americans live in one-person households. 28% of Americans. 35.7 million Americans live alone. So in the middle of March when everybody says, you got to stay home, for me that means I have to stay home with my wife and six children, which presents maybe other challenges that we could talk about in a different sermon. But what if you're one of the 35.7 million people who live alone? And you're told you need to just stay home for the foreseeable future. Loneliness was an epidemic before COVID. People, mental health professionals in particular, were really worried about the rising levels of loneliness in our country. What do you think has happened with that over the last several months? Now, the positive spin on this, a lot of mental health advocates are saying one good thing that could come out of COVID is that it could make loneliness kind of this mainstream thing to talk about how dangerous and um, hurtful and unhealthy it is uh, when we are all alone. And so they're hopeful that this experience that we have all had over the last uh, six months, seven months, however long it's been now, it might actually pave the way to a more socially connected future. It might pave the way to a more socially connected future. The message series that we've been in uh, this month of September is Pathway to a New Normal. It seems to me part of the pathway to a new normal is how do we pave the way to a more socially connected future if we are better together. And this is the wisdom of God for millennia that we can read about it way back in the Old Testament, how important it is two people are better off than one, that we've been created, we are wired for connection. And, and let me just make a, a, a short aside comment here at this point. Like initially in the middle of March, uh, introverts were like celebrating, right? Please, thank you for telling me I can go home and stay alone and I don't have to talk to anybody. But I'm not talking about the difference between being an introvert and extrovert. Whichever one of those you are, you're still wired for connection. You might need connection in a different way if you're an introvert or an extrovert, but we all need connection. So if we know we need it, if we know isolation is bad, I wonder why is it so many of us could talk about experiences in our life on a pretty regular basis where we feel alone and isolated. And, and even some of us could talk about 
those times in our life where we feel alone and isolated, even when we are a part of a group. There's a song uh, by the Ben Folds Five called Brick. And part of the lyrics say, now that I've found someone, I'm feeling more alone than I ever have before. Now that I've found someone, now that I'm no longer alone, I'm feeling more alone than I ever have before. And so I just want to talk about two ways, two reasons why we might feel alone, even if we're not one of the 35.7 million people who are actually living alone. Why is it we might find ourselves feeling alone and isolated, even in the midst of our own family or our friend group or a church, for that matter? So uh, first we'll start with an illustration, and for this one, I'm going to see if I can get Jared Wells, our production director, to help me out with this one for a little bit. And while Jared is making his way up here, can we praise God for Jared? Uh, Give a clap offering to God for Jared and the production team. uh, Alex Miller is on staff there, and then a whole bunch of volunteers. Like when COVID hit, we transitioned everything online, and we didn't know how to do that. And so we just experimented for a while, and Jared and his team made it very possible for us to get things out to you online uh, through March and April and May. In June, when we started doing outdoor services, they've been setting up and tearing down all of this equipment to make it possible for us to do that. Now they'll have to reinstate all of the equipment inside to get ready for the move back inside. So thank you, Jared, for everything that you mean to us here uh, at Hope Ankeny. How long have you been around here, by the way? 10 years. How about that? Double digits, baby. So, um, in a healthy relationship, I want, I want you to just imagine this trailer bed that we are standing on. Imagine this is Jared's living room. And imagine in Jared's living room, I don't know if this is true of your living room, he has a recliner and I have a recliner. So we're both in our recliners. We're watching the Cubs play, and we're talking about how great it is to see Wilson Contreras hit home runs and flip his bat 50 feet in the air afterwards, and how great it is to be on the cusp of winning, or have we clinched already? I'm not even sure. Another National League Central, how much better we are than the Brewers and the Cardinals and anyone else who might try to. And we're just having this conversation in a healthy relationship. In a healthy relationship, we would share equal space in the room. And and when I say equal space in the room, I'm not necessarily just talking about physical space. But imagine it in terms of physical space for a second. So imagine there's like a dividing line in the middle of that room, and Jared has half the room, I have half the room. And we're talking, and we're sharing thoughts and ideas, and it's just this kind of even back and forth. We're We're taking up equal space in the room. That's a healthy relationship. Unhealthy relationships, often there is someone who takes up far more than their share of the room. And so we're, we're going to practice safe socially distancing while, while we do this. But Jared is going to start engulfing on me. If this were an unhealthy relationship, uh, maybe we get done uh, talking about the Cubs. And then uh, Jared wants to talk about production equipment or technology. And while I can do that for a little bit, I, my knowledge base is pretty small. So eventually I got nothing left to say. And Jared, if he's not aware of this, he's just going to keep on talking and talking. And as he's talking, I'm going to kind of feel like he's pressing in against me, like he's coming over into my side of the room and he's kind of pushing me up against the wall and backing me into a corner. Is that sort of You guys kind of make sense? So he's taking up way more space in the room in that scenario. Everyone got it? This this means yes? Okay, I think you got it. Thank you, Jared. You can sit down. Now, taking up space in the room, think about how this might play out in a family relationship. 
parent and child relationship. And again, I'm not suggesting that the, the line has to be static and it, it can never move. Of course it's going to move, and especially uh, if you're parents of children, depending on what age your kids are, it's going to impact what does healthy space in the room look like. I got to do a baptism for Everett uh, at 4 o'clock today before the service. Uh, his parents, Jack and Caitlin. Caitlin is on staff for us here at Hope Ankeny. So great to do baptisms. But when you are young parents of a newborn, guess who takes up all the space in the room? The newborn does. And that's good and important and actually healthy. That's the way it's supposed to be. Because the, the newborn cannot meet its own needs. The newborn needs parents to meet its needs. Now, as that child grows, as that child matures, as parents figure out how to parent, as uh, children learn how to differentiate from their parents, that line, that space in the move line is going to move. But in a healthy relationship, there's going to be equal space in the room for parents and for children. One of the things that happens, uh, and I'm not talking about Kate and uh, Caitlin and Jack anymore, just to make sure I'm talking about me. No, uh, just in general, one of the things that happens is most young parents have no idea what they're doing. And so it becomes a kind of a scary proposition. And so what, what young parents have a tendency to end up doing is trying to control the situation, trying to make sure that everything's going to go exactly the way uh, that they want it to go. And often this can lead to parents who are engulfing and parents who take up way more space in the room than they should be taking up. Now, the Bible has a lot to say about uh, families, a lot to say about healthy relationships. In the New Testament, there's something called household codes. Household codes. Here's how you relate to one another in your household. And so you can read about it in places like Ephesians 6 and Colossians 3. And in those two places in particular, the Apostle Paul has some specific instructions for fathers. Paul says, dads, don't provoke your children to anger. Don't exasperate your children or you will, you'll end up crushing their spirits. Don't provoke your children. Don't exasperate your children. And so how it might look like is if a father, what they really want is for their kids to behave a certain way, the father might become ultra strict and so strict that it becomes clear to everyone in the room the, the, the whole point of life is to follow the rules that dad sets for us. That's what life is all about. That's what this relationship is all about. And that can start to feel very engulfing. Another way that this can happen, and a father can take up more than their share of space in the room, is in baseball there are unwritten rules, right? Sometimes families have unwritten rules or unspoken rules. And sometimes in families there can be an unspoken rule that the wife exists and the kids exist to make sure the dad is happy. And as long as dad's happy, then everyone's happy. And again, I'm speaking in generalities. This, this could be true about moms as, as well as it is true about dads. But if everyone knows that our job is to make sure dad's happy, dad, even if he's not saying anything, is taking up too much space in the room. Moms often take up too much space in the room and are engulfing relationally or emotionally. If there's not healthy and appropriate boundaries between moms and their children, kind of the way this can, can play out is uh, moms might be engulfing by reading the texts or the emails of their children without permission or asking uh, questions that are inappropriate, uh, maybe too personal. 
And what you see starting to happen in, in a relationship where a mother or a father, where the parents are taking up too much space in the room, the lesson that the children learn, if they're good students, and most kids are, the lesson they learn is, I am not supposed to take up very much space in the room. So now imagine what life is like for that child as they enter into adulthood. And kind of this narrative, this tape that's playing in the back of their mind somewhere is, I'm not supposed to take up much space in the room. What is that going to mean in their relationships with friends? Or if they get married, what's it going to mean for their relationship with their spouse? Or if, if they have kids, they might allow the people in their life to take up too much space in the room. They might never learn to stand up for themselves and take appropriate space in the room. And if you're in a situation where every, somebody else is taking up too much space in the room, or you don't know how to, to take up appropriate space in the room, you're going to find yourself feeling alone and isolated even when you are in the middle of a group. Now, if there was anyone who maybe could have or should have taken up a lot of space in the room, it, it would be Jesus. But when you take a look at Jesus, more often than not, he's not trying to dominate the room. Instead, what we see Jesus is, is just kind of being as curious as he possibly can. A couple examples for you. One night, Jesus is kind of reviewing the day with his disciples, and he says to them, Hey, what were you talking about earlier today when we were walking down the road? And he knows what they were talking about. They were talking about when Jesus wins, when Jesus conquers our enemies, when Jesus is on the throne, who's going to sit on his right and who's going to sit on his left? But because he begins with this sort of question of curiosity, it leads to an important conversation between Jesus and his disciples around what does greatness actually look like in the kingdom of God. A couple of weeks ago, we looked at the story of Jesus at the home of Simon the Pharisee, and this woman with a reputation comes in and anoints Jesus' feet. And again, Jesus is not dominating the room. And, and even when Jesus starts to talk, he tells stories, he asks questions. There's a curiosity about Jesus as he teaches people about life. What about John chapter 4 and the Samaritan woman at the well? Jesus is traveling through a village in Samaria, and a woman from that village comes to the well at the middle of the day, and Jesus knows that's not normal, and so he's curious. What's this woman's story? What's going on here? And so he strikes up a conversation with her, and they have this interaction that leads to her becoming one of the first evangelists in the Bible. She tells the whole village about Jesus. When we get curious... When we get curious, it starts to create space in the room for everyone. When we get curious, it opens the door to connection. Now, part of the reality, if, if we could be as honest as we actually need to be, we might have to admit a lot of times, a lot of times we're not really interested in connection as much as we're interested in control. We're not really interested in connection as much as we're interested in control. And here's what I mean by this. Um, we know isolation isn't good for us. We know we're better together. We know we need connection. But we also know when I'm connected to someone, that increases the possibility that that someone's going to hurt me or that someone is going to disappoint me. And so control is a strategy for getting our needs met. It's just not a great strategy for it. 
It's not a healthy strategy. We all have needs. We all have relational needs, connection needs, and we all fear being hurt. And so too many times in whatever relationship you might want to talk about, we use our control strategies as unhealthy ways of getting our needs met. And what it ends up doing, instead of leading to connection, it leads to disconnection. And so I would love for you to just spend some time in the relationships that you are a part of in your household or maybe at your place of employment, uh, in your friend circles, be thinking about this idea of space in the room. And how does it cause us to feel alone and isolated even when we're with other people? Second thing I want to talk about uh, is the idea of echo chambers. So uh, we love, there's, there's something comfortable about the familiar. There's something comfortable about the familiar. Uh, after my junior year of college, our college choir went to uh, Europe on a European tour. And we spent several weeks touring through Holland and Germany, Austria, uh, Hungary, Romania. It was a great trip. And as great as that trip was, by the end of it, I was just wanting to get home. I was just wanting to get back to someplace familiar, someplace where I knew that people were going to be speaking the same language that I was speaking, someplace where I knew when I sat down for a meal, I wouldn't have to try to guess what it was that I was about ready to eat, and I wouldn't have to wonder, am I going to like what I'm about to eat? And so the last day before we flew home, we were in uh, Budapest, and we found a group of us found a pizzeria, and we went to this pizzeria, we ordered pizza, we ordered some Coke, and, you know, in... In Europe, they don't really like ice in your drinks. They want you to just drink everything room temperature uh, because they don't want to mess with your taste buds and the, you know, the experience of tasting whatever it is you're eating or drinking. So we're at this pizzeria. We order the Coke. We're not expecting ice, but out comes these glasses filled with ice. And i got to tell you, I almost started to tear up. I was so excited to drink an ice-cold Coca-Cola because there was something so familiar and comfortable about that. I think there's a similar reality when it comes to our beliefs. We love to surround ourselves with people who believe the same thing that we believe, who see the world the same way that we see the world, because there's something familiar and comfortable about that. And that's okay until it's not okay. Because uh, the problem with being too familiar or too comfortable or surrounding yourself with people who believe exactly what you believe is how are you going to grow? We grow when people introduce us to new ideas. We grow when people cause us to see things from a new perspective, from a different perspective. Our theme this year at Hope is all eyes on Jesus. As we live our lives with our eyes on Jesus, we're going to be learning new things all along the way. And one of the ways Jesus teaches us new things is through our connections with others. They're going to help us see things from a new perspective, help us see things sometimes from Jesus' perspective. So what ends up happening is, like, you know, I was so excited to have Coke with ice in it because it felt familiar. But, like, what if you made a decision? I, I found something that I like. Let's say you say, I like cheeseburgers. So anytime I go out to a restaurant, wherever that restaurant is, whatever that restaurant might be, I'm just going to order cheeseburgers because I know I like it. I know it's familiar. Think about how much life you're missing out on if all you're going to eat is cheeseburgers every time. 
Similarly, think about how much life we're missing out on if we, what if when we're 25 years old, we decide, I got this whole life thing figured out. I know what I think, and I know what I believe, and I'm just going to surround myself with people who believe the same thing I believe for the next 50 years. I'm not going to change what I believe. That doesn't sound healthy. So, we, we often end up in these things that are called echo chambers, where the only voice we hear is a voice that's just echoing back to us what we already think and what we already believe. And the real problem with echo chambers is that it causes us ultimately to distrust anyone who's not part of our group. I don't know if you've noticed this or not, but there seems to be an increasing polarization in our country these days. Uh, there seems to be an increasing distrust of the other side, whatever the other side might be. And it's because far too many of us are, are living in echo chambers. And we see examples of echo chambers in the scripture. If you look back in the story of Moses leading the people of Israel to the promised land, in the book of Numbers, Numbers chapter 13 and 14, uh, they're about ready to enter the promised land. But before they do, Moses says, I, hey, let's send 12 scouts out into the promised land. And they take 40 days just kind of looking around. And then they come back to report to the rest of the community what they've discovered when they do this. And 10 of the scouts, their report is, yes, it is a land flowing with milk and honey, just like God said, but the cities are fortified, the people are violent and, and good fighters, and we even saw giants, we felt like grasshoppers compared to them. So they give this report, and the way the Bible records it, the whole community is just kind of freaked out. And they spend the entire night weeping and wailing, if only we had died in Egypt. It's much better to be a slave in Egypt than to be free and killed in the wilderness. There were two of those 12 scouts, Joshua and Caleb, who had a little different report. Yes, it's a land flowing with milk and honey. Yes, we saw giants, and we think God's with us, and we think we can conquer them. Come on, let's go. But the people distrusted the report of Joshua and Caleb. Their fear caused them to distrust. And their fear caused them to lose faith in the God who had rescued them from slavery, helped them cross over into, uh, cross the Red Sea, fed them and provided water for them in the middle of the wilderness. All these things that God had done, all of a sudden now they're losing faith. I wonder who fear is causing you to distrust and avoid these days. Who are the people in your life that your fear is causing you to distrust them? And what is that fear, actually? The other bad part of, another bad part of uh, echo chambers is it creates tribalism and division. And so the way it gets recorded in uh, Numbers 13 and 14, when this report comes in, the people decide Moses isn't the leader that we need. A lot of people thought, yeah, he's been leading us for this long, but it's time for a, a new leader. And now all of a sudden, the the whole nation is divided between those who want Moses to keep leading them and those who want a new leader. Division, division, division. Welcome to the world in which you and I live today. 
I don't know if you remember this or not, but last fall we celebrated uh, the 25th anniversary of Lutheran Church of Hope. Uh, it seems like that 25th anniversary celebration was about 25 years ago. It just, last fall seems like forever ago. But one of the things that uh, we celebrated as we looked back over the last 25 years, we celebrated this new vision that we believe God is giving us, the 10 for 10 vision, uh, 10 goals for the next 10 years at this church. And goal number two is called being unity agents. We believe God is calling us to be unity agents, to build bridges of harmony. And there's a particular way we do that, which is by following Jesus. We follow Jesus, who is showing us this pathway to a new normal. And one of the ways we talk about it at Hope, we call it the third way. Too often than not, we think our options are A or B. Our options are, are one or two. But Jesus shows us a lot of times there's a third way. And so we define the third way for our church as the way of civility and compassion and respect and love. That's how we are unity agents in a divided world. Civility, compassion, respect, and love trusting and believing that the Christ who unites us is greater than any issue that might try to divide us. So as the band's getting ready to lead us in our closing song, maybe the assignment for us this week is, is twofold. Number one, I want you to really be paying attention to this idea of space in the room and those relationships that you are a part of. Is the space kind of evenly distributed or are you sometimes in relationships that you are a part of taking up more than your share? Are you not taking up enough? Are you just kind of cowering in the corner like I was when Jared was pushing me back there? Just start to pay attention to that. And then the other thing I want you to pay attention to is when, when is it in your life that you find yourself kind of wanting to respond with the opposite of the third way? If the third way is civility, compassion, respect and love when are those times in your life that you find yourself wanting to respond exactly the opposite way what are the topics what are the issues who are the people and just start to get curious about that why does this make me respond that way let's stand and let's pray together before we sing our closing song So, Lord, we just come to you and we thank you for so many things in our life that are so, so good. But we know, Lord, you want more than a good life for us. You want a life that is abundant and full. And so that means there's always a next step of growth for each one of us. doesn't matter how long we've been following you. It doesn't matter how young or old we are, what our age might be. None of us have arrived. There's always a next step of growth. And so I pray, Lord, that you would, in this year of 2020, where we're trying to keep our eyes on you, would you continue to open our eyes and, and peel back the scales so that we can see, Lord, what, what are the changes that you need to bring about in us, all for the sake of loving you and loving our neighbor. We pray it in Jesus' name. Amen.